0: Good morning, my name is Jay Rosenthal, and I'm the Managing Director of Business of Cannabis. Welcome back to the Cannabis Daily Show for Tuesday, January 25th. If you like what you see, you can check out the rest of our channel with our full Business of Cannabis Cannabis Archive right here, so please do subscribe. For those new to Business of Cannabis since 2017, we've highlighted the companies, brands, people, and trends driving the cannabis industry, and that's what we look to do here every day. Following the rundown of the key stories we're following, we'll get to the BFC Live segment. In this uh, today's segment, we'll be joined by Matt Hawkins of Entourage Effect Capital. We'd love to hear from you in the comments, and always feel free to visit us at businessofcannabis.com, as well as through all of our social channels on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. There are three events we'd like to share. Tomorrow, Wednesday, January 26th, online, we will have our retail series with uh, presented by Vitrina Group and Leafly. We'll be looking at inventory planning for 2022. That is for cannabis retailers and dispensaries. March 10th, we'll be back in Brooklyn for B of C New York sessions. We'll be talking about connecting social equity licensees with Capital. That's presented by Leafly and with support from Vicente Sederberg as well. April 6th, we will be in Miami for Business of Cannabis Miami. This will be focused on cannabis retail tech design and data. All the information is below. For today's stories, cannabis is bringing in more tax than booze in Massachusetts. Will interstate commerce damage local programs? The UK should finally get some CBD clarity. And the onion speaks the truth. For our first story, Booze sales aren't dropping in Massachusetts, but regulated cannabis sales are skyrocketing. So much so that for the first time, cannabis excise tax revenues exceed alcohols. This, according to hometown favorite WCVB. By the numbers, $51.3 million in al- alcohol excise taxes were collected in, 2020, in the second half of 2021. But compare that to the $74.2 million in cannabis excise taxes collected over the same period. Now, the adult use excise tax rate is 10.75%. There's also a 6.25% sales tax and a local tax capped at 3%. So it's heavily taxed in Massachusetts, but so is everything else. Gross tax cannabis sales hit $2.54 billion since adult use retailers opened in November of 2019. Here's a great quote from uh, Michaela Bell, the community outreach manager at Netta, which is a big uh, dispensary in Massachusetts. I think that people are looking for an alternative to make them feel better. You said it. And uh, expect those numbers to go up even more now that the Patriots have lost in the playoffs. In an op-ed for Bloomberg Law, Shailene Title of the Ohio State University Drug Enforcement and Policy Center and lawyer Andrew Klein argue that the little-known Dormant Commerce Clause, which isn't addressed by any of the federal legalization bills currently in play, could destroy hard-won state-level equity and local business efforts. Now, what is the DCC? Well, the clause aims to disallow states from preventing interstate commerce. So should federal legalization go through in the U.S., it's likely that a series of litigation nightmares would ensue. So we will keep an eye on that. For our third story, the U.K. Food Standards Agency still hasn't published the much-awaited list of approved CBD products that was initially planned to be released in March of 2021. Meanwhile, they've asked some companies to submit additional documentation as part of their applications by the end of February, this according to Business Can. One company, British Cannabis, was also notified that 15 of its dossiers, which contain more than 3,000 products, will be added to the on-hold section of the public list. And finally, some good humor for you. Fake news website The Onion has still got what it takes. Quote, noting the numerous therapeutic benefits of cannabis, a new study published Tuesday by researchers at Mount Sinai Hospital found that marijuana ranks among the foremost treatments for persistent existence. That is a fake story. You can see all of it on our website at businessofcannabis.com. Now, coming up. On our B live podcast conversation, we will connect with Matt Hawkins. He is the managing partner of Entourage Effect Capital, a leading U.S.-based private investment firm operating and investing in the cannabis industry. We'll talk about his view of the cannabis sector right now. So stick around for that conversation with Matt Hawkins.
1: Matt, thanks for making time. Good to see you.
2: Good to see you, Jay. Thanks for having me.
1: I'm glad we can have you. I want to talk about a bunch of different things, and hopefully we'll get to them all or some component of them all. I want to talk about entourage. I want to talk about Harborside. I'd like to talk to you about where cannabis fits in the big macro picture of the economy. I don't know. Lots of other stuff, too. Are you ready? I'm going to pepper Sure, it. let's do it.
2: Okay.
1: Talk about entourage first. Tell us a little bit about uh, the firm and sort of where you place assets and your thought process.
2: Sure. So we're investing out of our third fund at this point in time. Um, we are, uh, we, we've, I like to say we've kind of matured along with the industry in terms of where we are investing right now. And our first fund, which was back in, you know, 14, 15, 16, we were very early stage investing, but that's where we were as a, as an industry. Uh, fund two was more of a 18, 19 vintage, and we were, doing more series A investing, three to five million over the life of an investment. Uh, Companies that had revenue, probably not, no real earnings, but again, that's where we were as an industry. And in fund three, we're doing more um, growth equity investments, more scale building, as we like to call them. And it's with companies that have actual earnings and sometimes even EBITDA. And so, uh, excuse me, actual revenue, but sometimes EBITDA and even in some cases, some earnings. So, so yeah, we've matured right next along with the industry. We're writing bigger checks now, uh, five to $20 million over the life of an investment. And we're uh, super excited about being able to, to do that and have the capital to, um, to make that happen because building scale, as I've said numerous times, um, is, is, is I think where the, the, the winners are gonna be once some type of legalization occurs.
1: I want to uh, think about that because that time horizon you talked about, you're talking about in three waves of your funds, um, but those are three big waves of the industry too. Uh, and the maturation thereof, like w- what has been the most striking? Is it uh, companies coming to maturity and actually reaching scale and operating? Is it, is it uh, the general public's acceptance of the cannabis industry? Like what's been the most, one or two most striking things that you've seen in the course of your investing?
2: I would say the latter. That that really has been eye-opening to me, where, I mean, I live in Dallas, Texas, you know, pretty conservative state, and, um, you know, all my friends that are damn near far right wing all think marijuana should be legalized. And, uh, and so, uh, that just, it just shows you, and this is also the same general location to where I was, you know, I had people telling me back in 14 that I was crazy to be doing this, and so... Uh, it's uh it's it's really quite interesting how quickly the you know the 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 court of public opinion has changed on this such that it's not only people want it to be legalized but it's just it is so mainstream now that it's it it it's it's mind boggling from someone who's been on it been in this on you know when it was not that way back in fourteen and fifteen probably
1: does it make it um does it make it more exciting or does it make it more like any other sector now as as you think about it
2: um it's funny it makes it probably just as exciting but even more frustrating because we're tantalizingly close to something but we don't know exactly
1: what when it's going to
2: happen what it's going to look like so even those of us that are you know that follow it and eat drink and sleep it and all that is uh, oh hell i couldn't tell you right so it's it's uh, that that part's frustrating, but yet it's also very very exciting that we're even having these conversations.
1: Yeah, and and thinking about that because obviously what happens in on a state by state level is critically important to the industry as it is now, but everybody has their eyes on their current geographies and jurisdictions, and one eye or one and a half eyes looking at what's happening in D.C. and like are you. What do you expect will there be banking reform will there be federal legalization will there be something that happens out of DC from your perspective and how do you bake that into sort of how you think about where you're putting money.
2: So. Um, we obviously think both will happen I think none of us know exactly what the timeline is I'm cautiously optimistic that something could happen with the Safe banking act this year. Um, but you know, if we don't start hearing something, um, you know, before the end of the first quarter about at least some type of a plan, then, then I'll be less optimistic. Um, with respect to some type of legalization, I still think we're three to seven years away, but that's okay for us because we're we are, you know, we want to be investing in companies that, like I said, we can build scale around, and the longer it takes to get there, the more opportunity for success that we think we can have with some of these investments because um i was just funny i was i was at lunch with an investor today just you know talking about you know would it have been beneficial for it to have happened already and i think my the resounding answer for investors is probably no because we want to be able to deploy this capital into companies that can attract the tens of billions of dollars they're going to be entering the space, you know, upon legalization, and because they're not going to be able to write, you know, five to ten million dollar checks, they're going to want to write big, big checks, and you better have something to sell them at that
1: point. Right, right. I want to, I want to sort of zoom in on on um, on Harborside in particular because sure. uh, a company that's been around, well, since I was living in California a very long time ago talk a little bit about sort of uh uh, that company and how you how you think about that uh in the california landscape
2: well when we announced um the uh the signing of the definitive documents to merge uh harborside loud pack and um urban leaf into uh, a company new company called state house holdings it was the culmination of um of of a a year long effort to, uh, to make Harborside or transform Harborside into the preeminent single state operator, uh, in the state. I mean, since we took over the board in the fall of 2020, a lot happened. I mean, we had, uh, the parent company and and Glasshouse come, come into the picture. And, and so we were just going about our business on, you know, on the periphery, not having to worry about the, the, you know, the difficulties of a SPAC. Um, we just kind of decided to do this on our own. And we, you know, through a lot of hard work and, and hard negotiation and setting egos aside, we got these three companies together. And now we, you know, from a retail footprint standpoint, we're I think we will at number two, from a production standpoint, we're right up there. Uh, we can basically cover all of our product needs with our facility in Salinas, we do all the manufacturing and all the production and all the distribution so we can capture margins at every level. Um, and then we planning on growing our our retail footprint. And with uh Ed Schmaltz coming on board as our CEO, with a pedigree of you know the former COO at Patagonia, former CEO at FAO Schwartz, you know, many years on Wall Street, he brings a you know, um, uh. Uh, an acumen, both for retail, but also from a financial standpoint, that, that is, um, has been lacking and we we're bringing, and this is the type of talent that's, that's now available to the industry, which, and that's another thing that's very exciting to me as the type of talent that we now have to, um, that we can attract.
1: Yeah. And I want to, I, I want to zoom in, uh, well, maybe zoom out from that specific, but to talk about California, maybe other markets <laughs> That it, it, it's been a real challenge, partly supply chain, partly the markets, partly a resistant legacy market or a, a strong legacy market too. Like, are we on a, a path towards California or other places where the tide turns as time goes on, right? Where the market just becomes bigger and bigger and more people are buying cannabis on the legal market. Um, well, I sure hope
2: so, but we're going to need some help from the state of California to get there. I mean, they've, they've provided us uh, zero help in the fight against the illicit market. And um, it's quite unfortunate because they had an opportunity to come in right away, um, help the businesses that are doing this legally and tamp down the ones that are doing it illegally. And they've chosen not to do that. And so I have a very, very Visceral reaction when um, when when I hear that that California, you know, either isn't moving in that direction or is hesitant to do so, because people are breaking the law, and uh, we're not. We're doing it the right way, but yet we are taxed to death, and we there are poor regulations that limit uh, our ability to conduct business and enhance the ability for the illicit market to conduct theirs and so um it makes zero sense um gavin newsom has said recently that he is going to change that so we'll see that the proof's in the pudding but um but at some point it's going to have to happen because uh the illicit market is alive and well and it's and, and we need we need the state's help yeah in terms of other states other states are you know have learned Lessons from others, California included, and I think it'll be—you'll see less of a um, enabling of the illicit market in other states than we've seen in California. As a yeah. result,
1: it, it's a bit and like I, I think uh, one that obviously we're keeping an eye on. and I'm sure you too is is New York, um, and and I think they everything they've said seems they've learned lessons from California and other places, both in terms of how they will. <laughs> Uh, deal with the legacy illicit market but also how they will welcome legacy operators into the legal market and what that means because that's the other part um there needs to be that pathway i think and you know policy policy goals notwithstanding like you need to be able to welcome people into the market so they operate in a legal market legal framework but is that one of the markets that you know do you check in what's happening there every day every week every month well, like, what what's the what's yeah, the focus I, on new york
2: I, I wouldn't say every day because we're still You know, this is likely a 2023 deal in New York and New Jersey. So, um, but that doesn't mean we don't have an interest in it, Uh, but it's just, but but we're focused on deals that we can deploy capital in 2022, Um, but we still obviously follow the, uh, you know, the, the, the regulatory steps that are being taken in those states.
1: Yeah. There's, I mean, I don't know what the right analogy is, but I'd like to get sort of a final question. in. If you think of cannabis in the U S as a, I don't know, a baseball game, let's say that, cause at least it has nine innings and you have more choices. Like where, where, do you think, where do you think when you're talking to investors or thinking about investing money, like, where do you think we are in that sort of uh, baseball game? Are we, are, are we getting to uh, are we getting deep innings from the, the starter or are we still warming up the pitcher?
2: It's funny, I feel like we're stuck in an extra inning game in like the third inning. Okay,
1: <laughs> that's a good analogy, like,
2: yeah, because uh, we still have so far to go with what this end game is going to look like years down the road when you know, you name it, all the big industries are involved, all the institutional capital is involved. I mean, um, but prior to that. Uh, we're still stuck in a regulatory morass in a lot of places like we just talked about California that that we can't seem to get out of our own way with. And um, so that part is frustrating, as I said before, but it's still a growing market. And the total addressable market, both if you look at the illicit marketing and the legalized one is such a big industry that it's undeniable the opportunity. Um, and the fact that we're, the opportunity is undeniable from a uh you know from a legalized one uh federally from that standpoint this isn't you know the the old things everybody says in the industry that can't put the toothpaste back in the in the container you can't put the genie back in the bottle all that stuff it's it's, it's true i mean just you can't unwind this now and so it's it's happening right before our eyes but it's hard to say what inning we're really at
1: maybe it's like a great first three innings that's constantly being rain delayed
2: that or just the third inning being played over as Groundhog
1: Day. <laughs> <laughs> it's the third inning again and again and again. That's right. yeah. Matt, I enjoyed the conversation. I hope we can connect with you down the road. And uh, thanks for your time.
2: Happy to do it. Thanks, Jay.
0: You got it. That was episode 16 of the Cannabis Daily Show. Thank you for joining us this morning on YouTube. Please do subscribe right here and we will see you tomorrow.